take a comfortable seat or lay down. Allow your body a moment to relax and settle. Let your eyes close or gently look downward. This is Bonku, and welcome to another episode of Design Lab. On this show, we explore the question, how might we design healthier lives? Like many of you, I have an insanely busy schedule. I preoccupy myself all the time with work. I just need to pause during the day and be still. But it's so hard for me to do that. I just jam my schedule. And I'm always thinking about building daily activities like meditation into my schedule, but I just can't seem to do that. Today's guest, Sarah Oster, might help you to design ways to pause. Sarah is a sound therapist, meditation teacher, and author. She's spent the past decade introducing sound baths to audiences and unique environments across the globe. What's a sound bath? At the end of our conversation, you're going to actually get to experience one Trust me, we need sound baths in our chaotic lives. Sarah's transformative experiences and original teaching method have made her a leader in the sound bath movement, helping deep listening and sound meditation go mainstream. Her book, Sound Bath, Meditate, Heal, and Connect Through Listening, was published in November 2019. We appreciate all the fan mail. Thanks for reaching out through email and social media. We heard from Michelle Pardogi and Kristen Scott. Thank you. So you can reach out to us at Twitter. My handle is at B-O-N-K-U or Instagram at D-R-B-O-N-K-U or email bon at designlabpod.com. You as a listener, you can support this show. It's so simple to do so. All you have to do is go to Apple Podcasts, give us five stars, leave a comment, we read them all, and follow us on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. Now here's my conversation with Sarah. Sarah Oster, thank you for coming on Design Lab. Great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. So your design medium is sound, and you wrote a book called Sound Bath, Meditate, Heal, and Connect Through Listening. What is a sound bath? Listening is an important word that you almost (laughs) forgot to say. Yeah, I know. (laughs) And... My work is really designed around having full body listening experiences. So the way that I use sound is to help invite people into relaxed states that can be deeply therapeutic and ultimately just allowing the body to access the the possibility for natural healing to occur. And I like the word sound bath in itself. Is that something that is a term that's thrown out there? Did you make that up? Yeah, it's a funny question. I love the term too. I didn't create the term sound bath, but I was uh, drawn to it. And when I started doing this work uh, almost 10 years ago, there were a handful 
full of people that were doing things called sound baths. Mm -hmm. And at this point, they've kind of taken off and become a lot more popular in the mainstream. And now there's lots of different interpretations (laughs) of, of what that could mean. Essentially, it's some people use the term sound meditation. And I'm also a meditation teacher. And I understand that the word meditation might feel like a barrier for entry. Mm -hmm. People say, oh, I tried meditation. I can't do it. Yeah. Uh, It's too hard for me. That's me. That's me. Meditation and yoga are these things I want to do, but I sort of get intimidated by it a little bit. Yeah. And my goal and my mission is to just strip down the barrier for entry. And so what I found really attractive around the word bath is uh, it's intriguing to people. What does that mean to bathe in sound often? And quite seriously, I get asked if people need to wear a bathing suit to a sound bath experience. And that that was me. I was like, sound bath. Is this like, do I have to be in a bathtub? (laughs) There is no water involved. But, you know, the use of the word bath is more of a metaphor in that you're surrounded and immersed and almost submerged and and held by sound vibration. Mm. Uh, And that's, to me, is the interpretation of the term sound bath. I listened this morning to one of your like one minute sound recordings on YouTube. I was like, I'm going to check this out. And it was just one minute. And I looked out the window. Uh, it was like blue sky trees and it just slowed me down and made me pause. I think it helped me to do that. Cause I always, I want to meditate, but I mean, I, I wake up, I have like two 16 ounce cups of coffee and I'm go. And I almost never do it. I just, it's hard for me to slow down. And you talk about how sound can help actually guide meditation. Can you speak a little bit more about that? Because I felt a little bit of that this morning. Yeah, sure. When I started attempting to meditate, I felt pretty discouraged and I kept trying different methods and different teachers and different ways in. And I would kind of feel like I was getting somewhere that, okay, maybe this is it. Am I, am I meditating now? Am I there? And then the, the teacher or the voice that was guiding me would say, okay, now notice your shoulder. And I was like, wait, I was somewhere. I was in meditation and you just brought me to my shoulder and I was in a cool place. (laughs) I felt just really pulled away by a a voice kind of dropping in intermittently Mm -hmm. through my practice. And so I, I felt that as having a background um, in music and art that I could start to use sound as a guide. So ultimately I became a meditation teacher. Uh, I taught yoga for several years as well. And so I integrated both practices. And so, yeah, cause I'm not like a new agey person. So when I think of like yoga and meditation, I think of like, yeah, this teacher at the front of the class, like telling me to do stuff. And I was like, that doesn't appeal to me, but just that one minute of listening to your music, there was like, no words there, but I don't know it. I think it helped me out this morning. And just like, 
help me to pause. And because when I'm still, my mind goes in a thousand places. I can't pause. I can't rest my brain. And I felt that having this acoustic environment just forced me to not have this flurry of thoughts, even for that brief moment. And I was like, is this meditating? I don't know, but it made me feel a little bit better. Yeah. And it's funny what you said there about not being a new agey person. I actually, that's the first line of the introduction of my book. Mm. I'm not a new agey person and this is my history and this is my backgrounds and this is how I found my way in Mm. uh, to these types of practices. And it really what the sound is it's creating a a container an opportunity for you to slow down and pause in a way that's not forced and doesn't have any kind of rigidity to it. You don't even have to sit up in a certain way or cross your legs or hold your hands in a certain way. And you can just be comfortable and let the sound sort of take you. And so that allows people to kind of drop any judgment Mm -hmm. around, am I doing this right? uh (laughs) And you could just do it. You yeah. can just be be there and have that experience of pause. And it could be so fast. It doesn't mean like I have to go somewhere for like a two hour long retreat. Like you could inject these small moments in the day, which for busy people like that is, I, I don't, I, I didn't think I could uh, experience that in that short amount of time. So that was pretty cool. Um Let's talk about sound therapy and your intro, your journey in sound therapy that was guided, it seems, by some of the experiences that you and your family had throughout your life. You spent a lot of time in hospitals. I work in the chaotic emergency room, so I've spent my entire adult life in hospitals. And so I was curious to know how those experiences of being in a hospital shaped your career. Yeah. I, when I was young, I had an older sister who was in and out of hospitals. And it's interesting because when you think about that, you as a doctor, and of course there are nurses and there are patients and uh, everybody sort of has a very defined role there. Yep. Uh (laughs) Right. And then you have the sister of the patient. Mm -hmm. And so I found myself, you know, kind of without a role in a, in a hospital and really able to sit there as a young child and observe mm. all of the different roles, all of the different chaos that was going on, all of the, the pain and sadness in my parents watching their daughter uh, struggle through this and the mm. doctors and the nurses trying to help and support. And I was uh, a witness to all of this and attempting to make sense and to try and find uh, meaning in what was happening. Mm. And one thing that is a really strong memory, I mean, it was between the ages of seven and 10. So they're very distant memories for Mm -hmm. me now. But one was that we would always put headphones and a cassette player uh, on my sister's, even though at a certain point she was not communicative. And we would observe a subtle shift, even if it was just like a half of a smile Mm. or her eyes softening. Uh, We 
interpreted that as a moment of, of peace Mm -hmm. for her. And so that's really stuck with me over the years. The hospitals are such like stressful and chaotic environments. And one reason why they're so chaotic is all the sound, the, the alarms, the bells, pagers. Yes, we still use pagers in hospitals, the overhead speakers. And I think we underestimate how sound can create the chaos in, in hospital environments. You've put on some of these events uh, sound bath events at like some big stages like MoMA, Lincoln Center, Madison Square Garden, but you've also have done it in like healthcare settings as well. Can you speak about some of those experiences of what that was like? You know, going back to what I'm attempting to do with my work is making Uh, this type of experience accessible. So helping people to quiet down, to slow down enough to connect internally, have a greater understanding of self and what's going on so that we can connect more effectively outward in the world, express ourselves more clearly uh, and these types of things. And so yeah, I'm always interested to, to try new environments mm-hmm. because it presents an interesting challenge for me to go on the basketball court of Madison Square Garden uh, into a hospital setting. It's my approach, the types of instruments I use, how I engage with the participants is, is also different. Mm-hmm. And again, it comes down to to, to listening and helping the participant to just kind of tune in, to slow down, to connect with themselves and the particular environment that they're in. And so I hope that I can continue to, to enter into many different spaces. Yeah. yeah. Can you talk about the benefits of sound therapy, especially for patients who are trying to heal from uh, trauma, trying to heal from uh, physical pain, because there are some skeptics out there in the medical community, doctors especially, we're, we're totally skeptical if there's not a randomized controlled trial about it. But then in our personal lives, we all know that, yeah, I think sound plays a role in my stress level. And yeah, so I was kind of curious to know, like, how do you address the skeptics out there of the power of the healing nature of sound? I, I think, and just in my past experience as a patient and witnessing other people uh, go through illness and injury, that one thing that tends to be overlooked in Western medicine is the uh, emotional aspects of being ill mm-hmm. or being injured. And since sound has the ability to uh, affect us on an emotional, spiritual level. And we, we know this, if you've ever listened to music before, Yeah, how, yeah. how music can affect you, how it can help you to run faster yeah. or get up and dance or feel love for someone, connect yeah. to a memory. And so why don't we use this knowledge to, to help someone 
to connect to that emotional struggle mm. of, of going through pain and, and suffering. And there's not a one size fits all with sounds as I'm sure is, is similar with medicine. Yep. So I think the reason why some people might be skeptic is there are some people running around saying this uh, note does this to everyone. Mm almost like prescriptive sounds. Yeah. And I, I don't follow the, those rules. Uh, I think that each person has a unique relationship with sound and it's something to be explored. Mm. And you were talking about, I've heard interviews where you have said pain is the greatest teacher. What does that mean? Can you uh, expand on that because at age you know 23 you had a really horrible accident and it seems like that was an event that helped you explore kind of like the healing nature of sound yeah when i was 23 i was working as an artist in manhattan and i had a i had was awarded a a free studio space to, to work, to do my work in. It's just such an honor. Mm. And I was working in my studio uh, late one night. I heard a loud banging sound, which I thought was just at that time, some crazy actors downstairs role, role playing something. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it was actually the sound of the floor breaking underneath me. And before oh I gosh. even realized that I, I had felt fallen 15 feet from the second floor into the first floor into a black box theater. Oh my gosh. Broke my back in four places <sighs> and lots of other seemingly insignificant things compared to the broken back. <sighs> and of course, at that time, I was hospitalized for a couple of weeks. I was being monitored closely because I had a chip of bone that was touching my spinal cord. So oh. they were debating whether or not to perform surgery. Uh, luckily they decided not to, and it sort of resolved and healed itself. And when you're lying in a, well, on a, well, I can speak for myself when uh, I'm lying in a hospital bed on a morphine drip and a yeah. doctor comes in and says, you know, wow, you're so lucky. And you're like, I can't feel my feet. <laughs> I can't move. This is the most terrible thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> How could you say I'm so lucky? We are so not empathetic. <laughs> <laughs> and so the neurosurgeon released me from the hospital. Uh, and I was sitting there across from him at his desk and I said, okay, I have this back brace from my chin to my hips and I have this walker. I can barely walk. Okay. What do I do now? Like, tell me doctor, yeah. what, uh, what do I do with this life? And he said, uh, well, if it hurts, don't do it. You know, no horseback riding, no pogo sticking, no dune buggy riding. Probably <laughs> that was also almost 20 years ago. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so things are changing, but through uh, just a desire to get out of physical pain, I went down all these different roads saying, I'll try anything just to kind of get off the painkillers mm -hmm. and understand how my body is working and all these kinds of things. And it's only- Because you must have been in so much pain. I mean, that is, that's a serious injury. Yeah. 
There's a lot of pain, uh, a lot of depression mm. too, from not being able to, to do anything, yeah. not being able to put my yeah. shirt on or not, let alone not being able to create art or see friends yeah. or do anything that a 23 year old would like yeah. to be doing. Uh, and so to say that pain is the greatest teacher, you can really only say that in, in hindsight and looking back because had that not happened to me, I, I don't know if I would have found this work that I'm doing right now. Mm. It was a kind of gateway in to taking a different path in life. And I, I hear that a lot in different people's stories who have either faced adversity or mm. recovered from an injury or an illness or had a near death experience it sort of it resets you. And I think yeah. of that as a teaching. And how did you get into this work after that? How did you make that leap into having a the studio at a young age and then going into using sound as your design medium? The the origin story is is interesting. <laughs> And it's not as quick and, and simple as people would yeah. like, like a Spider-Man origin story yeah. where a singing bowl fell on my head and I realized that that was my life's uh, purpose. Not exactly like that overnight, mm -hmm. but uh, through this kind of uh, desire and curiosity to understand what was happening in my own body mm -hmm. and trying all these different things, uh, I just went and, and studied them. Mm -hmm. So I went to uh, a chiropractor who introduced me to acupuncture and massage therapy for the first time. Uh -huh. And again, tw 20 years ago, still like a little yeah. <laughs> fringy. And, and then I went to school for massage therapy, not yeah. to become a massage therapist, but because I felt like I needed to understand more about what was going on in the body, my own body. Mm. I studied traditional Chinese medicine. Uh, and then I, I, I kind of was, was taking a path that was really moving away from the creative path mm -hmm. that I was on as a, as an artist. And then slowly I started to come back to that part of myself with mm. all of that knowledge. Yeah. And when I looked at some of your uh, performances, they're so like artistic and used all these different uh, elements to create sounds, everything from these crystal bowls and tuning forks and the traditional Indian accordion. I was like curious to know, like, how do you go about designing these sounds and trying to choose which instruments or ingredients that you assemble together to put on these environments. Cause it's really easy just to press play on the laptop and connect them to speakers and to pump out music. So I was just fascinated by how, what is your process for designing these sounds? The primary intention of my work is to hold beautiful space for people. And so that involves a lot of different elements. Mm -hmm. The experience doesn't start when I start playing an instrument. The experience mm -hmm. starts when somebody enters the room mm -hmm. or even before that receives an invitation about the 
event. So how that's designed and how that looks and feels helps even more to invite people into the experience. So all of those things are considered the aesthetics of the space, the lighting, the smell, the colors, the comforts, having lots of things for people to to support their bodies, to make them feel comfortable. And so all of those things are are considered when I'm presenting a, an in-person experience or a recorded experience. Yeah. yeah. And what has been the challenge of with COVID now, because most of your events were uh, in-person and I got to experience one of those events at the annual conference, I think in 2018, which was just fabulous. And now they're shifting over to more of a digital virtual experience. What has that been like? Interesting. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate in in 2020, this sort of having to pivot, Yeah, I guess, but uh, offering virtual and recorded experiences is something I was investigating long before the pandemic because traveling a lot all around the world to facilitate these in-person experiences, I was starting to grow this community Mm. and I would connect with these people in Berlin or LA and they would say, okay, this was amazing. I I felt uh, such a powerful uh, transformative shift. Uh, How can I keep going. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I kept kind of putting it off because I was getting caught up in the technical aspects of wanting the sound to be perfect (laughs) and all the technical blocks around it. And then when we went into lockdown last March in 2020, I, my immediate response was, well, I just have to do this because People, I felt it. People are overwhelmed. They're scared. I I need to keep facilitating these experiences to hold this quiet, steady space for people to calm down, for Mm. people to rest and, and, and reset and just have a moment to process everything that was going on. And so suddenly all the technical blocks were no longer blocks because Mm. of the desire and the need to help people to feel connected and together. Mm. And so it's actually been really interesting over this past year. And I now have a subscription uh, service through my website that has a whole library of sound bath videos and yeah. I host monthly live events there. So in a sense, as I mentioned, still the primary focus of the work is to hold this beautiful space for people. Now it's virtual. Softly bring your awareness to your breath. So as a listener, how can we experience this? We, we go onto your website and there's different like subscriptions uh, that a listener can, can download these experiences. Is that right? Yeah. So you can go to my website, which is sarahoster.com and there's a join button and you can join. Uh, I think it's pretty accessible. It's $18 yeah. a month. So yeah. just unlimited totally, totally. and, 
Uh, there are different durations. So for you, you had a one minute experience and you felt it was effective. I have one to five minute experiences mm. for that reason, for a little quick yeah. tune up and a reset. I have half hour experiences and hour long plus designed for sleep. Wait, big, what, yeah, what is that? A big designed one that sleep. people come to the website Yeah, because I, I'm always sleep deprived and oh gosh, I have this gift of being able to sleep in two seconds, I always get good rest, but so many of us, that's the exception. So many of us can't sleep and have a difficult time sleeping. And how does sound play a role in that? It, it helps to guide you and usher you into deep and, and restful sleep. It mm. certainly, it certainly can. And some of the experiences are designed with uh, more guiding and instruction to help to bring you into the experience and bring you out of the experience. Mm. Similar to meditation, there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. And in the sleep experiences, they're designed to uh, rock you, lull you to sleep, and uh, then leave you there. <laughs> yeah. And what I love about these experiences that is it makes it very accessible for people like me who this is not a normal part of my routine. And I think it's a little intimidating for me to enter into um, this ritual and pattern of meditation and to pause. But I don't know, the sound just helps you to do that. And I didn't think about that before because I can't just like I just can't be still and pause, right? It's and but I think the sound just designs this environment in my brain that just helps me to like reset and pause, which was just a, it was just fascinating. Yeah, you keep saying the word pause and I it's a very important word in my work mm -hmm. and I break pause down to mean presence, mm -hmm. awareness, unity, silence, expansion. So being present saying, Oh, okay. I'm going to exist right here, right now with this. I'm going to put this on for one minute. And then you become aware of the sound. The, the unity piece is, you know, just kind of recognizing that you're connected to something outside of yourself. So in that moment, it might be the sound it's you and the sound, Silence is an important piece because that's where it's a place for integration. It's a place for what you experienced to, to really land and settle in. And then expansion is, you know, this, this new shift in, in perception because how you listen is really how you experience life. I really just th think about it as a metaphor. And if you're huh. able to tune in to something so subtle and ephemeral as sound, mm. it's here and then it's gone. It, it just opens you up to so much nuance, so much beauty Yeah, that you're able to just experience life more fully. Yeah. Oh, I've never thought of it that way because <laughs> I think we just pack every second of our lives with something, especially with our smartphones. Like I'm just always texting or on email or on a website and my work's chaotic. And I literally work overnight shifts in the emergency room. So it's like always jumping from one thing to the next. And 
I'm, uh, one of my passions is surfing. So that's the only time I think I get to like pause and not be around my phone and actually get to listen. And often I'm in the middle of the ocean, like by myself. And, and I never thought about the sound playing a role, but what you just said right now, thinking about it. Yeah. I'm like, I'm being able to pause and be able to listen. And that's one of the few times I give myself in my life to do that. Mm-hmm. And so as a surfer, then you definitely understand the unity piece being connected to the waves and the swell. And, you know, there, there's something so therapeutic in that and recognizing that there is something outside of ourself and our minds and our thoughts and our judgments that helps us to feel just more connected. Yeah. What do you see as the kind of future of sound therapy in patients to help them deal with trauma and chronic pain and depression? Because I think it's still pretty untapped, I feel. Like, I think it's another tool in our toolbox to help patients. It's not like we're going to be replacing other uh, medications or other behavioral therapy to help patients. I, I don't think we're saying that, but I think this is this other tool that we can use to help people. I think that recognizing that the, the mind and body are not separate are it's, that's a very mm. important principle that I think should be integrated moving forward. And it's through this practice of listening as what I call full body listening, that as a patient, you might be able to sense deeper into relationship as to what you're feeling in your body, how that's connected to your emotions. And you might be able to even better express those things to a doctor who can help you. So I really see the key around being uh, developing a listening practice. Mm. And I'm excited to see more research in this area. There's one study I looked at where patients who were being extubated in the intensive care unit coming off of mechanical ventilation. They actually did this randomized control trial where, you know, one arm of the patients were listening to music, I think sounds of nature. And that actually, and they recorded like different scales that nurses use and found that it was an improvement in how the patients actually recovered. So I think there's, I think there's so much more exploration that we can do to provide like evidence base for sound and healing. And personally, I feel this way. <laughs> like <laughs> I, I think all of us know that, you know, views of nature and, and sound environments have a huge impact upon our mental health. And I think going in the future, I think there's such an opportunity for there to see what are ways that we can use the design meaning of sound for healing. So I'm just deeply appreciative of your work and just like so thrilled that you're able to come on the show and for personally changing kind of my daily life where I'm going to totally use some of the tools that you develop to uh, make me pause during my daily routine. So thank you, Sarah, for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you so much. You can find Sarah Oster on Instagram. Her handle is at S-A-R-A 
A-U-S-T-E-R, and her website is sarahoster.com. Also, check out her book. And now here is your chance as a listener to experience a five-minute sound bath led by Sarah Oster. I hope you enjoy. Take a comfortable seat or lay down. Allow your body a moment to relax and settle. Let your eyes close or gently look downward. bring your awareness to your breath. Thank you. 
slowly open your eyes, inviting in the light of your space, noting if anything has shifted in your body or your awareness. Thank you for listening. Design Lab was produced by the one and only Rob Puglisi. Our theme music was created by Emmanuel Houston and the cover designed by Eden Liu. See you next week.